0: A lot of you are thinking, wait, isn't this the 98th episode? It is. Hasn't it been 98 episodes that I haven't heard LeVar Burton on your podcast? But that means we're that much closer to our
1: 100th episode. A century of how to do everything. So we're having a party. A meetup. Mark your calendars. Saturday, March 30th in Chicago, starting at 4 p.m. at the Boiler Room.
0: Which is home to one of our toilets of the week. You can see it yourself.
1: You can use it.
0: Or whatever. We can all use it together. Yep. That's what a meetup
1: is all about. So save the day using a toilet together. If you're in Chicago,
0: post more information on our website, howtodoeverything.org. This is How to Do
1: Everything. I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. On today's show, how to name your car and how to race
0: the Iditarod. But first, last week, two deer, a doe, a female deer, and a fawn got stuck on the ice in the middle of a harbor in Nova Scotia. Now,
1: the ice was too thin for anyone to go out there and get them, so they called in David Farrell. He's a helicopter pilot.
2: David, can you tell us what you did? Well, there's quite a bit of downwash to an aircraft. The heavier the aircraft, the more downwash you get. Uh, it's
1: basically so the, the wind blowing down from your helicopter blades. From the blades,
2: yes. Yep. So if you, can, if you can get within three or four feet, I guess you just on like an approach for a landing. It's, it's no different. Uh, the main thing is, is to get that downwash, a, a little bump at first, and maybe give it a little more downwash. Once you get the the animal moving, then they'll normally, on a good ice conditions, will, will keep moving in front of the aircraft. The downwash gets the momentum, and it just kind of glides it off, and, and until it stops, the shoreline or, or a big patch of snow will stop it.
0: So wait, so you weren't they weren't getting up and moving? You were just using the downwash to push them off the ice. Yes. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. <laughs>
2: well, all of the day's work, I guess. <laughs> so,
1: so you uh, you push the deer over to the shore where it can get up and, and get going on its own. That must be a pretty strange experience for the deer. Do you do you get any indication that it's like, what just
2: happened? <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. When we first got there, when you come in, the, the he, she was trying to get up, and you could see her poor little legs moving. But I think once you get, and, and uh, I, I don't know this for sure, but it seemed like the deer once it starts moving, it just it'll move its legs, but it's not thrashing around like like it was before when I was coming in. So once they get over the initial shock of this object above them making all this wind, I think they calmed down, and it it was safe for the deer for sure because uh, she didn't break any legs, and and she get up and ran. She was very stiff, but. She was, she, her and the fawn were gone the next day. So,
1: so they they realize that they're being helped and, and
0: just kind of go with it.
2: I, I think so. I hope so. I mean, I, I don't really know for sure, but uh, I'm hoping they do.
0: Is there any danger that that young fawn might imprint on the helicopter and, and think it's the new mom? <laughs>
2: One never knows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, David, thank you so much, and, and thanks for the,
1: the work you do. It's pretty amazing. Okay, yeah. buddy. There's a video of David's Deer Rescue on our website. That's howtodoeverything.org. So here here are some real names of, of cars you've probably seen. The Toyota Yaris, the Nissan Versa, the Ford C-Max, the Isuzu Mysterious Utility Wizard. That's a real name.
0: Now, we wondered how all these cars got their names. Scott Piergrassi is on the line with us now. He's the vice president of creative development at Brand Institute. So, Scott, you, you've actually
1: named cars. Can you tell us uh, the cars that you're responsible for?
3: Sure, absolutely. Uh, two names that I developed while working uh, with Brand Institute uh, are two cars for Saturn, um, the first one being the View and the second being the Aura, um, now the the View uh, is a compact crossover SUV uh, and the name was developed to communicate both the unique perspective or view with regards to styling and design <clears throat> and the literal elevated view afforded someone driving an SUV.
1: Now the the View if people aren't familiar with it is it's spelled V U E rather correct. than V I E W. Can you tell us about uh, what what that's about?
3: Uh, well, brevity is always, is always liked by our clients. Any way we can shorten a name is usually well-received. Uh, also, the novelty of the name construction can help from a trademarking perspective. Uh, so while uh, VIEW might have encountered trademark issues, the V U E Vue spelling might have made it more ownable uh, for for a product within the car trademark class.
0: Well, Scott, like when you guys are developing these names, do you ever um, are you conjugating the brand? Are you like working out sentences? Because I know, like back in the old days, you would say things like, "Yeah, we'll just take the Mustang." I'm gonna guess that not many people said, "Yeah, we'll just take the probe." Hop in the probe.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, we we try to create a name that supports or suggests what the car stands for, what it's all about. Um, and then we develop rationales or stories for each name uh, saying why we feel that the name is on target. Um, I'll, get, I'll give you an example of something that's more of a historical rather than something that we worked on. The, the Chevy Camaro. Um, was originally created as one of those blank canvas names or something that's an empty vessel, created internally. Uh, the cam, obviously, auto part associated, but it's it not, it wasn't really created from anything, just sleek sounding, cool sounding, etc. Now, after the name was developed, Chevrolet cited an old French dictionary that showed that the the word meant friend or companion, so that's uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily set, you know, a supercharged horsepower <laughs> uh, sports car, but it's a good definition—a retrofitted rationale, as it were. Shortly after that, Ford countered with an old Spanish dictionary that showed that the name uh, meant a small shrimp-like creature. <laughs> and then, finally, to cap it off, a member of the automotive press found another meaning. Uh, translated to loose bowels. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is all from a made-up word, quote-unquote, but the, really the point here is that after the, the Chevy Camaro was launched in 1967, the public fell in love with it. So the name really fell by the wayside, or at least the, as the the stories and the and the mockery fell away because the product itself delivered on the promise. Hey, Scott, can I ask you, do you have kids? I do not. Okay. Did,
1: well, I was just wondering— Do you think about names for kids, potentially, or when your friends are naming kids, do they ask you for advice? (laughs) Uh, Do you have a
0: cat or a dog?
3: I do have a dog.
0: Okay,
1: what's your dog's name?
3: I have a miniature schnauzer named Roger, and he's going to love the (laughs) shout-out.
0: I'm guessing it's spelled in a funny way.
3: It's R-A-U-J, no, it's <laughs> it's just Roger, R-O-G-E-R.
0: Well, Scott, this is great. Thank you so much.
3: Well, I really appreciate it, Mike and Ian. Thanks for reaching out. And uh, as always, if there's anything else, just let me know.
0: Give our best to Roger. Right.
3: Thanks, guys.
1: We, we want to play a segment that we played on our podcast a year ago at this time. And we should say, um, we heard, when we did, we heard from a lot of you who said we, we should have warned you, you might cry.
0: So consider this your warning, but trust us. We don't want you to feel bad. Stick with this piece.
1: Okay, so so here we go. Um, this uh, is about Scott Jansen. Now, Scott is a funeral director, and he competes every year in the Iditarod. They call him the mushing mortician.
0: And last year, when we talked to him, Scott was snowed in at one of the checkpoints there.
1: So, Scott, I understand it's been a pretty eventful race so far. Can you tell us what happened?
4: I was coming down. It's called the Dalzell Gorge. When you come across Rainy Pass, and uh, after I went over across the pass, it was snowing really, really hard. The wind was blowing, and um, it was, was, well, it was beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful as far as a snowstorm goes. Yeah. The dogs will do what we call dipping, and by that, the dogs will dip into the snow to get, you know, a little hydration as they're cruising, and one of my dogs, Marshall, he um, he was dipping into the snow in the sides, and all I can think of is that Marshall dipped into the snow going down one of those trenches, and he must have packed his snout with snow when he did that, and uh, and his mouth, much like when people are in an avalanche, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so we came out of this trench and all of a sudden Marshall fell over and the dogs will do that every once in a while, you know, a dog will stumble and they'll fall and they'll jump right back up, you know, Yeah. but Marshall, he fell and he hit, boom. And, and I, and i and I grabbed my snow hook, which we use to stop our sleds. And I was able to snag a little piece of bush and stop the sled immediately. And I got up to Marshall within minutes yeah. And, um, I, you know, conceivably it was probably two or three minutes by the time I was able to stop and, and get up to him and, uh, oh. and, uh, and I, uh, and I, I lifted him up by his harness and, and he fell again. And, uh, and, uh, and then I knew, and, you know, and I looked at his eyes and his eyes weren't rolled back. I didn't see the whites of his eyes, his mm-hmm. pupils, he was dead. And, uh. I'm an undertaker, I know death. And uh, <clears throat> so I started, you know, I screamed out his name and uh, God, it's hard to talk about, but yeah. I screamed out his name and, and uh, I started instantly, I put his I, his tongue back into his mouth so I could close his mouth all the way. And I put my mouth over his nose and I pulled back in to try to get anything out of his nose out and uh and I was able to pull a lot out and uh, and I spit that out, and I started breathing into his nose and at the same time giving him chest compressions and uh and I did that for five or ten minutes, I don't know it seemed like an hour and uh and i I just I remember so vividly my tears dripping down on his snout as I just looked up at the sky and I said, "Please God, please let him come back." And then I looked at Marshall. I breathed in his nose again. And I'm like, dude, please come back. Please come back. And I did one more chest compression, one more breath into his nose. And he coughed back out. I mean, right, right into my <laughs> mouth. And, you know, it might sound disgusting for people, but it was the most joyous sensation ever. Yeah. And he started breathing and uh, he didn't. And then his eyes slowly came back and, and he's looking at me, and but he couldn't lift his head off the snow. And I laid there in the snow next to him and and I rubbed him, and I petted him, and I told him I loved him, and and uh, told him, hang on, dude, I'll get you to the doctor's. Yeah. And I laid there for about 40 minutes, and and uh, <clears throat> finally, all of a sudden, he lifted up his head. He looks at me like, hey, Dad, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, did I lose you? I just heard a beep on my phone.
1: No, 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 I'm I'm still here. Okay. So while, while you're doing this with Marshall, the other dogs are, are how are they yeah, behaving? They're all
4: standing they're all standing in line, and every one of them are looking back at me, and they're all whining, and, and they don't do that much. These dogs will howl. They'll sing at the moon and everything else, and and uh, and they're all whimpering up front, and they knew, they knew that so, something was wrong with them. And so I got Marshall in the sled bag, and I said, Hey, guys, we got to get Marshall to the doctor. we got to rock. And we took off down that mountain, and we're going weaving in and out of the trees. And at one point, I leaned over because Marshall had closed his eyes. And I leaned over and I shook. I'm like, dude, dude. And he opened up his eyes like, you know, hey, I'm just taking a nap. And, <laughs> and as I came into Roan, I was yelling for the vets. And they came running out right away. And I told them, you got to get Marshall in right away. He's, I think he's dying. And I told them what had happened. And they got him into the checkpoint and into the warm cabin. And, and uh, they started working on him. But I couldn't go in with him because... I had you know fifteen other dogs that I needed to take care of, and yeah. in the meantime I snacked all the dogs and while the food was soaking in the hot water, I went in to check on marshall and and I'll tell you i'm I'm not a tall man, I'm only five foot five and but I was about four feet tall when I walked in there i was yeah. I was having a hard time even standing up straight. I was probably at one of the lowest points of my life and and I walked into the checkpoint, and Marshall's laying on the floor, and they had an i v into his arm. And I walked into the checkpoint, and Marshall looked at me and jumped up on his feet and started wagging his tail like, hey, Dad, where are we going? <laughs> and I went up, and I sat down next to him and hugged him and cried. And and, uh, and that's when the vet said, you know, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And So Marshall's okay now. He's, he's back in Anchorage, and we've got a good friend that's staying at our house, and, <clears throat> and Marshall's living in the house up in the mountains overlooking Anchorage living like a king right now
1: yeah yeah i wish we could send dog biscuits or something for for marshall but if you could scratch him behind the ears for us you know
4: oh i'll do i'll do that for sure i'll i'll give him some love when i get home from from you
1: all right well take care thank you so much for talking to us
4: all right thanks for calling
0: This week's Toilet of the Week comes from Ben. He nominated the women's restroom at Kitty's Purple Cow in Freeport, Texas.
1: Online with us now is Ashley Dowell. Uh, she works at the restaurant. Ashley, tell us about your toilet.
5: We have a, a, sexy, a sexy man in the bathroom, the women's bathroom, and um, he's, you know, pretty cut
1: now you're talking about a drawing of a sexy man it's
5: a poster and um we've there's a flap over it and so obviously you know if you want to look you can look because he's he's not dressed
0: wait there's a flap over what
5: over the goods
0: okay
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. so so you you can see everything but his package and so um if you lip, lift this flap you know, it, try to sneak a peek, um, everyone in the restaurant will know because it's attached to a buzzer. So <laughs> as soon as, you, as, soon as you, you barely lift it up, this buzzer goes off in the restaurant and, and everyone knows that you've tried to sneak a peek in the bathroom. So,
1: so how many times a day would you say you, you hear the buzzer go off?
5: Um, in the summertime, in the spring, in the summer, I would say, you know, anywhere from five to 20. <laughs>
1: oh, man. So, yeah. So, Ashley, can we actually hear what the buzzer sounds like?
5: Yep. Are you ready? I
1: I have to ask, so when you lift up the flap, is it just a prank or do you get to see the, the goods?
5: No, no, you don't get to see the goods. It's a family restaurant. So, so
1: what, is it like pixelated down
5: there or what? No, it's he actually he isn't naked it just looks like he is oh all right and the flap is pretty big it just kind of covers up that area he i, I believe he's got on tidy whities we it's just all in good fun so. he's actually
0: wearing a flap yeah <laughs> well congratulations ashley you have this week's toilet of the week
5: oh perfect thank you so much such an honor
1: So, last week, uh, we, t- we said if you sent us your name, we would give you a nickname. And, and you so did. <laughs> you sent you, us your names. A lot of you did. We're going to do that now. Uh, Kevin okay. Axe. Body Spray? Bruce Kieser. The Keymaster? Yep. Wait, what was the Keymaster's name? Vins Clothor? Really? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bruce. you're From now on, you're Vins Clothor. Mike Sharp. Sharp's Accord.
0: Yeah, sharpsichord. Nina Fogel.
1: Nina Pinta and Santa Maria.
0: London Fogel. What's about a coat. Phoebe.
1: Phoebe Jeebies. Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: Robert. Bob, Rob, Bobby, Robbie.
1: Well, uh, he said in his email, uh, people already call him Bobby. So he wants a better nickname. Ernie. Ernie it is. Serenity. Calm. Storm. Just Mm. the opposite. Yeah. Storm. Yep.
0: Jamie. Capital J. Oh yeah, Doctor Doctor Jamie. Doctor Jamie. Zach wants a nickname. Never had one. Star Wars Episode Two:
1: ta- A Zach of the Clones.
0: Sure. Hannah Bartlett, but she says please don't let it be fartlet.
1: We would never do that to you. No. We're gonna call you President Bartlett, or President Jed Bartlett, or Josiah Bartlett, maybe Zoe Bartlett, or Mrs. Landingham. Mrs. Landingham.
0: Molly Sutter.
1: Something with butter.
0: Yeah. How about Peanut Sutter? Peanut Sutter. Sarah Churchill. She says she's a graphic designer and not related to the famous Churchills.
1: She talking about Winston?
0: I think so. Chill, Churchill, chill. chill. Okay, let's call you Chill. Ricky. Ricky Balboa. Jacob Giarnyast. How about Jacob Giarnyast and Found? That's good. That does it for today's show. What did you learn today, Mike? Well, I learned that if I'm ever in a pinch and I need to move something, I could just call in a helicopter.
1: Yeah, just blow it out of there.
0: get it down. You ever get a cat stuck in a tree?
1: Just tilt the helicopter. Boom, it's on the ground. Yeah. I think what would be fun is if you got two helicopter pilots and, you know, a big, like, uh, puck, you could play helicopter hockey. Just blow that thing back and forth. All I need uh, is my helicopter's license, pilot's license. And a giant puck. And a frozen lake. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, actually, Mike, um, if you want to see what I learned, you can just lift this flap right there.
0: Oh. Don't mind if I do. (laughs) How
1: to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White.
0: Our intern this week is Mike Nothnagel.
1: Oh, yeah. Congratulations, Mike. Nice work, Mike. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org.
0: And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.